Good morning, good morning. And good morning to everyone who is streaming in with us this morning. I see some names, Sherry, Rebecca, Caroline. We're so happy that you guys are tuning in with us this morning. We are so excited to start worshiping with you. So for my people who are here, this morning we, um, in first service, there was such a sweetness to it. And so I know the service is gonna be equally sweet and it's even more exciting because there's more of you guys here this morning. So just wanting to remind you guys that we get to model the new normal and we have the opportunity this morning to be a community and we get to worship together. That also means that we are worshiping together with love, but also with a sense of cautious, just to the least of these. And so this morning, we're just gonna focus on a few things. If you see someone with a lanyard, I don't see one with one now, but if you see someone with a lanyard, it means that they are choosing to be extra cautious in this season. So just love on them well, give them some distance, away from afar, give them an air hug. Also, while we're worshiping, we're gonna wear a mask, and even while we're singing, I did it this morning, you can totally rock out with a mask, it's totally fine. And if you're home, you don't have to wear one. And then also our service host this morning is going to be Jordan. So if you have any questions or you need a place to take your kids, there's rooms in the back. He'll be also answer any of your questions and direct you as accordingly. So to get started with our Psalms today, it's gonna to be Psalms 145, eight through 15. And it says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of men your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. In the eyes of all who look to you, you give them their food in due season. And so if you wanna bow your heads wherever you are. Father God, we just invite your presence this morning we invite your presence to be sensed and felt in homes of people streaming from all over this morning. We invite your presence to be felt here in this space, in the gathering of community. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity just to bask in the lightness and the shalom of your presence. Lord, we pray that our heart is attuned to what you are saying to us this morning that we get to have a private conversation with you during worship and during the message. Lord, we posture our heart and our attention to fully exalting who you are. Thank you for loving us. Let it be a model of how we love others in our homes, in our community, in our nation, and in our world. Thank you for your presence and the joy of this morning. And in your holy son's name we pray, amen. I want to invite you to pray with me this morning. For those of you here in the room, for those of you online, I'd like to read a verse as we pray, before we pray from Matthew 11 in which Jesus says, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this morning we are going to pray. We're going to ask that God would lighten our load and the burden that sits upon our shoulders for the needs of our community and our world and personally. So we're praying for the universal church, its members and its mission. We're praying for our community of churches surrounding this church here in Smyrna, our network of churches. We're praying for safety as people gather. God, that you would organize us, God, to take action in our community together. We're praying for all of our brothers and sisters suffering from coronavirus across our world, that you might bring healing and unity to your body. God, we're praying continually for the genocide happening in Nigeria as Christians are being persecuted by Boko Haram and other extremist groups. And as reports are coming out that these, this genocide is compared to Rwanda and Darfur, God, that there's great tragedy happening in Nigeria. We pray, God, for the eyes of the oppressors to be opened and for aid to be sent from neighboring countries. God, that you might bring an end and might bring justice to the situation. Lord, hear our prayer. For our world and all those in it, God, we thank you for the gift of our planet. God, would you awaken us in this season that we might steward this world well. We pray for those affected by the mudslide in Myanmar that took place this past week, that took the lives of 162 people and injured many more. We pray that you might bring resolution. God, that you might, bodies might be found. God, that there might be peace in families in Myanmar. God, we pray for our political leaders around our world, that you would provide wisdom, that they might care for the people they lead. We're praying for the systems of racial oppression in our own country, that strides would be made for criminal justice and police reform to make for a more equitable society. We're praying for the safety of the police and the protesters as outcries for justice are being made across many American cities. Lord, hear our prayer for the welfare of Smyrna and Cobb County. God, we're praying for the family of a 26-year-old man, Gregory Gabriel, that was murdered in Mableton two weeks ago. God, we pray that more information would come out and that justice might be had for his family and that you might comfort them in the midst of their mourning and grief. We're praying for the food-hungry people in our own community, God, that you might offer bravery to them to speak their needs and that we might be a solution. We're praying for the families that sit on the brink of homelessness as the window for rent relief is closing in July for many. God, that you might provide new homes and other relief systems for them as they get back on their feet. We're praying for grace for the county school board as they make decisions, God, that affect so many. We're praying for the parents, God, of kids. God, that you might offer grace to all of us as decisions are being made for this next school year. Lord, hear our prayer. For the concerns of this local community and all those who suffer in it, we're praying for the isolated and lonely people. God, those that suffer in ways that we do not know, we pray that you'd bring these people to our minds, that we might be an answer and meet the needs. For those feeling the weight of injustice, God, we pray that you'd bring comfort and wisdom for the health of our church family, that you might protect us in ways that we can't protect ourselves. 
And we thank you that we are not alone, that these burdens are not ours to carry, but God, they are for you and we offer them to you. That in the midst of this chaos, that you might offer rest to your people. Lord, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Really crazy that I'm using a table. I'm not trying to be super trendy. Um, I woke up this morning with my normal twice a year back issues while I was preparing to preach to you about heavy burdens. So, tricks on me today. I was literally laying in the back before the first service doing my stretches. So, uh, bear with me as I jump into this. Um, I just wanted to remind you a couple things as you sit in this room. Like, what's the, what's the purpose of this church? Well, I've talked to many of you about gathering and not gathering and the people listening at home. All over the world, this is about the size of the average church. And in America, we're not used to that. But if this was the size of the churches we had, would they still feel valuable to us? What would it look like if we couldn't rely on super talented people to lead us vocally, and many of you had to lead us in worship? What would it look like if there wasn't a pool of people to recruit from and all of us had to step up? What would church be like if it was just the, the amount of people in this room? I think that's important to note as we think about what's the role of the church today. What's the reason we're here? And I know that many of you are carrying weight into this place today, and I just want to acknowledge that again this week. It's been another weighty week. Just this morning, since we started, two churches that we're connected with, one Smyrna First United Methodist had a staff member confirm positive for the virus, they canceled service, and our largest church in our network had to cancel service this morning because of the virus. So it's a weighty season, right? The weight is so much that we don't really know how to handle it. We're, we've developed rhythms at our houses. We've been doing things. But it's interesting to me that the things that we put our trust in have been toppling over the past few months, even athletically looking at what's happening right now. Even with how we all typically feel like we're invincible. Many people are getting sick that we know, right? Many people are dealing with the virus. And so I think it's interesting because that's presenting to us ways to enter into this. And we're asked the question with, what are we putting, what are we tethering ourselves to? I think for me, I've already told you guys multiple times that I've prayed this year that God would help me to become a crier. And I have not enjoyed the process. So it happened again this week. I decided to watch the movie Remember the Titans with my family, one of them whom is here this morning, Noah, who is intent and in paying incredible attention to what I'm saying. You're doing great, buddy. But I decided at one point, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to hold back. I'm just going to let myself, even though it feels awkward and my fight mechanism is coming up. So much so that my family was like, wait, are you, are you crying? And I was like, yeah, I'm crying. So I've kind of made a commitment to myself that I'm going to start trying to cry more. But I think for me, the thing that I've noticed is kind of a thing that I put trust in is that I don't like to sit still and be present. And for me, that's looked like a lush garden that's now producing 80 to 100 tomatoes, literally. Many of you can enjoy that fruit at some point. It is a fruit. Um, it looks like painting many rooms in our house. It looks like redoing our yard. It looks like un I literally took apart my picnic table and then rebuilt it. I don't even know if it did anything, but... It looks for me like 
in a season where I trust, I still have the choice to trust God or to continue to produce things that bring meaning. And that's my thing, is that I need to be producing things to feel like I have value. If I'm not doing even something ridiculous, even something like being competitive about what my garden looks like compared to another staff member. So what happens is when I decide to not produce, I find myself in this space that feels uncomfortable. I don't know if it's like that for you, but the space for me where I sit and I'm with myself alone, things like emotions come. Have you guys heard of these before? Things that surface are the things that I believe God wants to meet me in. But I do these things and I trust in these things because I believe they'll produce identity. I know for you and for me, I think a good question is, what does it mean to be a Christian, especially right now? What does it mean for us to be a Christian? And I'm going to read to you a chapter from Romans through the lens of Paul that's not necessarily like he usually speaks. He usually speaks very theologically and doctrinally. Here he gets kind of vulnerable. And so I want to read you this passage. This is Romans 7, 15 through 25. And it says this, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And just pause right here. This is kind of a classic scenario where people say, well, I didn't really do it. It was you know, the devil made me do it. That's not what this, this is not like a, let's all blame the devil for everything bad that ever happened and we have no partnership in it. He's trying to go somewhere deeper. So I find it to be that a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God and in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of, of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members." wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to the God through, to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is not necessarily the passage you decided to come to church to hear today, right? To be reminded how sinful you are. Here's what I think we don't like about this. And I'm going to read you a quote in a second. The word sin is not a word we really like to talk about. And one of the reasons is because many of our Families and histories and movements that we came from talked about it in such a way that it made you feel like the goal of Christianity was to prove how wrong you were and remind you how bad you were. It talked about sin in such a way that we decided to move away from it. And it ushered in a generation of Christians and churches that decided to not discuss sin because it's offensive. And highlighting someone's wrong would speak to the truth that they get to decide their own truth. Like, we map out what we want to do, and that's my truth, and it may not be yours, but this idea that Paul is talking about of biblical sin 
literally is saying that there is an essence, a thing, that is at work and at play. And it's not the idea that we made a mistake or I made a wrong turn in life. He's telling us it's something large that needs to be dealt with. I want to read you a quote, and I don't have my phone on me. It's back there. Anybody see my phone? If you can bring it to me, Mariah. I literally knew I would leave my phone back there. Um, but I want to read you a quote. And if you guys can, I'm going to make available on our Facebook prayer wall. Thank you, Mariah. Um, a, a devotional every week called Journey with Jesus. And it's by Debbie Thomas. And this week she's talking about this passage, but it's through the lens of a question that one of her children are asking her. I want to read it to you. It says this. Stay with me. A few weeks ago, my son asked me a question about my faith, a question I haven't stopped thinking about since. The content for his asking was the eruption of the nationwide protests against racial injustice in the wake of George Floyd's murder. What is the difference between your Christianity and your progressivism, he asked. What does being a Christian give you that being a good person committed to equality and justice and compassion does not? The question merited all sorts of answers, but I gave my son several. Being a Christian gives me hope, I said. Hope for this life and for the one to come. Being a Christian assures me that I am known and loved by a generous and self-giving God. Being a Christian means that I am not alone when I suffer. I'm accompanied by Jesus who has experienced pain, loss, betrayal, and death. Being a Christian reminds me that I live in a created world, a world that is sacred and meaningful, and I love this, shot through with God's artistry. Being a Christian gives me a distinct sense of purpose and vocation to do justice, to love mercy, to practice hospitality and humility before God and other people. I liked all these answers when I offered them, and I like them still. They feel real and solid and true, but as I continue to ponder my son's questions, they strike me as inadequate, as incomplete, because there's something else, something sharper and harder edged, something more challenging and less comfortable that distinguishes Christianity from any other kind of of generic goodness or niceness. I might claim, in fact, it's the very concept of niceness that's an honest engagement with Christianity and calls it into question. What does being a Christian give me that being a good person does not? It gives me my sinfulness. I'm gonna say that again. It gives me my sinfulness with a capital S. As ironic as it may sound, Christianity liberates me with a truth that cuts before it heals. The truth that sin is deadly is a destructive force against which I am helpless and powerless apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus. Christianity gives me the robust and unflinching language I need to confess what St. Paul so honestly articulates in his reading from the epistle today. I don't know many people, religious or secular, who cherish the word sin. Many, particularly those of us have left various forms of fundamentalism actively mistrusting the S-word. We associate it with guilt and shame, punishment and hellfire. We find it way too harsh, too debilitating, too unsophisticated and puritanical for the complexity, complexities of the 21st century. Sin has become a word that jerks us away from God instead of drawing us into God's arms. I love this thought about sin, not because I believe Paul's message is just to remind us of how sinful we are, but the whole concept of the grace of God is that grace abounds where sin is. And our understanding of who we are rightly with God 
puts us in a position to always be self-reflective about our limitedness. If we aren't able to name sin, then we aren't able to see the cure. To talk about sin is not a weapon for us to wield against those who are hurting or those who are oppressed or those who are broken. It's to offer something to those who need healing. For us to not be able to recognize it, for not be able to talk about it, to use things like, I made a mistake when we've actively wronged our neighbor, our family, and God, is to not ask for the kind of healing that's offered. I want the kind of relationship with being open to my own sinfulness that wields the healing of God so much so that that's what I offer to others. To be comfortable saying, I'm a broken man who is uncomfortable sitting by myself because if I'm by myself, I'm worthless. To say to my kids, I should not scream at you, my son's here, as long with, along with this coach, who they can attest to anything that I'm about to say. I have a problem with making athletic performance too important. It's way too important. It doesn't even make sense to me. It's a broken place in my heart that I actively apologize to my son and my daughters who still play sports. I don't know why it's such an important thing. I need healing. It's ridiculous, but I'm broken here. I'm broken, and God, I need you to usher in the redemptive hope in our society where we can look out and see all of the brokenness surfacing. We pray for God to heal it. We name it, but we name it in ourselves first. We have to talk about what's happening within ourselves first. The body of Christ is being called to the carpet so that we can say, God, we've all sinned, but we need to be filled by your power. We need you, Jesus. You heard a few months ago me talking about this stage design or stage paradigm that talked about sin as we enter the Christian faith, we recognize the different layers of sin, right? The first layer of sin is gross sin. And you can all say gross if you'd like. Good job. Thank you for the, thank you for the two people who said it. It's great. We're doing great, guys. Gross sin are the things that surface first that you hear testimonies about. Like I was... You know, I was out riding my Harley for a year and just drinking in bars and fighting cowboys and stuff like that. And then you move past that to the unconscious and conscious sins where it starts to move into things that are maybe not as evident. And it moves all the way through unconscious and conscious sins to trust structures. And trust structures are what motivates the sins that happen in us. These are what Paul is talking about. If you recognize in this passage, he's saying, I'm doing my best to accomplish the law. But I've noticed that while trying to accomplish it, there's the work of sin that's working its way in. He believes the law is holy. The law is good. But sin has made its mark and worked death into the law. And so when he's trying to do his best work is when he's noticing the sin. That's not the kind of sin you point at and say, that's sin. That's a bar fight. It's the kind of sin that works in good people. The kind of sin that motivates structures and systems to be in place. It's the kind of sin that makes me good for not doing these three things and you bad for doing them while avoiding all the other things that I'm doing and avoiding the good that you're doing. 
Trust structures live beneath the surface. And as we become disciples and follow Jesus, he works his way into those spaces, asking us to be honest about our love of country, our love of our spouse over Jesus, how our sustainer is most of the time not Jesus but our finances. And he asks us to present those things, but it's hard. Right? We just celebrated July 4th, right? We've always been one of the most powerful nations in the world. And for some of us, we put our trust in that, right? Some of us are single in this room, and we feel less than because of that, because our trust structure is relationships. Some of us are addicted to performance, and we don't know how to not accomplish, because our trust structure is what we can do. And Jesus is working his way in asking, will you invite me in to those spaces? Will you be honest about those spaces? Don't pretend like they're not there. I believe the body of Christ is being called on the carpet. And if we desire to not name and avoid this conversation, it will be at our own peril. We can't fix ourselves. I want to read you a quote from from my favorite commentary, but it's about the film Beautiful Mind. Has anybody ever seen the film Beautiful Mind in this room? None of the kids have. They're like, shut up, Josh. Okay, I will. In the film A Beautiful Mind, the brilliant but psychotic mathematician John Nash assures his psychiatrist that he will deploy his analytic skills to cure his own illness. And his psychiatrist says, you can't reason your way out of this, his doctor replies. Because your mind is where the problem is in the first place. Just so, Paul says, the self by itself can neither enact its good intentions nor heal its relationship with God. It can only be rescued from within. We have to present the inner parts of us to Jesus to be rescued. Not because he's going to just give us that umph to help us get past it and muscle up so that we can do it. He's trying to replace an operating system. The old one's not working. The new one is one that trusts in Jesus when it's good, when it's bad, when it's ugly. When there's a pandemic, when there are civil riots, when there are things that need to be faced and confronted, our motivator has to be Jesus. We cannot go into the world offering a grace we have not seen. If we can't name the things we need grace for, we can't receive the grace. It's not just about being good people. There are good people all over the place. It's about being a Jesus people. And to be a Jesus people is to confess the name of Christ and to own where we are not Christ, which is everywhere. What happens to us when we decide to take it on our own is we choose to carry the burden. And whatever that burden is, for the Pharisees it was the law and it was what they were adding to people. For Jesus, he saw that happening. And that's why he said, come to me, all who are weary, carry my burden, right? It's because he understood when we do it on our own, it's too much to bear. And even if it's just, if it's just like me, just trying to do a little more and not be present with my family, it's unbearable. We have to be freed from ourselves. So Becca, you can go ahead and come back up. It is going to be a homily today. I want to read Romans 5.20 to you really quick. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The body of Christ has to become comfortable with this discussion 
because it means we can say where we are needed, where we are in need, and where we need Jesus. If we continue to act like everything is okay, we can't invite Jesus into these spaces. Our whole destiny is built around how much we will trust in Jesus. From the beginning of this year until the end, we are talking about being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. We don't just want to do what our society and our culture tells us in a given season. We submit ourselves to the feet of Jesus, right? In the passage in Matthew, I'm not going to read this today. There's a group of people who are upset because John came and he was too vengeful. John the Baptist was too He talked too much about repentance. And then Jesus came and he was too open. He let people sit at his table that shouldn't have been sitting at his table. No one knew how to perceive the spirit of God, but he was working in both. In one season it was John the Baptist and the next it was Jesus, but people had to perceive and they had to come to him like little children, come to him like people who needed to learn, come to him saying, I'm a listener and a follower. Today we come Jesus saying, We are broken. We need healing. And I just pray for those of you at home that this would be a week to practice rhythms with Jesus, that there would be a created space to sit at his feet, to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. Where he shows us sin, it's not because he just wants to show us where we are bad, but because he wants to bring healing to broken places. To Paul, sin wasn't about habits. It was about a relationship that needed to be restored. It's the place where we felt like we didn't need God or couldn't trust God. That's the place where we begin to become our own God and become, begin to own and operate in our own systems. God, I present to you that I will never be able to do enough, whether it's build a garden, paint more rooms in my house, start a Pinterest page, become emphatic on Facebook, develop out my wardrobe, focus on the next baseball season coming on April 23rd or July 23rd, whatever it is that I have in place that's telling me it's gonna be okay, don't let it replace you. You are our source. In you there is life. In you there is freedom. We can come to your feet, God. We can sit with you. And I just wanna pray over everyone here. If you're in the room, I want you to go ahead and close your eyes. Jesus as shepherd in John 10 is trying to develop in us the ability to hear his voice. And that looks different for all of us because we all learn differently and sense differently, but it's true for all of us. He wants to shepherd us by guiding us with his voice. He desires to speak to you and he speaks through his word and he speaks through nature and a brother and sister. And sometimes he speaks through events, but he is speaking and wooing. He is shepherding and guiding. He is restoring and leading you by still waters. He's the shepherd. And he sometimes leads you to spaces to say this is harming you and harming others. And it's driving a wedge between myself and you and you and your family. And it's a trust structure that I need to heal. Will you allow me to heal you? Can you name it? Can you give me what you're holding on to? You don't have to be afraid. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
Jesus came to set the captives free because sin, let's just name it, is insidious. It is present. It's an ancient power that's been working for centuries. It doesn't just pop up with a cartoon face and make you have a bad day. It's creative and it works its way into our lives. And especially when we think we're becoming pious and good and doing all that we can do, pride surfaces and says, see, you're better than them. Sin is present, even if we feel like we are amongst the best. We are in need of a Jesus that is a healer, that is drawing us to his feet, saying, even as you grow and disciple, you are ever presently always in need of me and my proximity. You do not reach a space, you do not need me. You will need me more as you go. It's like we're being led across waters that get deeper and deeper and deeper and the land is fading away and Jesus is becoming more present. You need me as you walk. I'm not screaming at you from the land telling you to go forward. I'm meeting you and drawing you out saying, come to me, all who are burdened. And we are all on the ship that sinks without him. And it doesn't matter if I'm the president of a company the owner of a bank, have seven houses, a motorcycle, a pimped out account. It does not matter. I need Jesus. So we set all of our facades aside in the name of Jesus. We set all of our crowns down in the name of Jesus. And we present them at your feet saying, we need you, Lord. And if we can't say it yet, we pray, break our hearts to show us our need because we're trusting in something else to give us that right now and it will fail and the burden will be too much and it will destroy us. But you say to those who feel persecuted by those structures, come to me, all who are heavy and burdened. And you say to those of us who are heaping that on other people, repent, the kingdom is near. And then you say to us, sit at my table. Anyone who's hungry or thirsty. And then we say, well, is that enough to just be hungry and thirsty? And you say, yes, come sit at my table. I am here and I am with you. Fall at my feet. Follow me. Let the world see a people who's in love with the Savior, who is sending them to the broken places to proclaim freedom to the captives not to proclaim captivity to those in captivity. Let us be that people, God, that operates as an outpost of your kingdom where we don't decide who our brothers and sisters are and we speak liberty, where we speak truth to powers, but not just those outside of us, but those within us, where we set ourselves up to say, yes, you get to decide what's truth, not us, not our culture. You speak into my identity. You speak into my life. You speak into what I do. Let us be a people who repent when we need to repent and celebrate when we need to celebrate. Let us understand when we need to mourn and understand when we need to, to dance. Let us be a people who move in tune with your spirit because your spirit is wooing us even if we don't see it or sense it, even if we don't know how to perceive it and we think John's this and Jesus is that and you're ever present, God. Let us be listeners. Let us operate as listeners so that our kids can fall in love with you, Jesus, the one that pursues them with identity and chosenness and blessedness and yes, even brokenness. Let us be a people who run to your feet when others are running to wealth and fame and Christian notoriety. 
We repent of Christian notoriety. We repent of becoming something important when you've asked us to sit with the least of these. We need you. We need you today. We need you right now. So I'm going to close with this. Um, This year to me has been about inviting Jesus into places that feel foreign and that I'm scared to invite him into because I don't know what it looks like when he gets into the places I've hidden. And for me, it doesn't look like gross sins. It looks like fear about intimacy and fear about what it means to not know how to father my kids when they're 12 and 10 and 8 and fear about what it looks like for a church to go through a pandemic. I'm just going to lead you right now into a space because I think this is the most important thing that you invite him into that. Whatever that is, stop trying to muster up the faith and the strength to do it. Just invite him in. If you're lonely, if you're sick of it, If you don't know what to do, invite them in. Even if it's something small, and I'm going to lead you, and then we're going to close. You can repeat it if you want, or you can just think it. I don't really care, but I want you to enter in with me. Father, help me to be an inviter of you into the places that I feel most shameful of, to the places I feel most afraid of to the unknown areas that look like vast chasms where it almost looks like I'll just die if I go there. Help me to invite you into them. And literally, I'm asking you to do that with your thought mind right now, with words. Jesus, come into this. I don't know what to do. And I thank you, Jesus, that you want to join us. You want to shepherd us in these spaces. In your name we pray. Amen. Guys, I just want to say thanks for joining us today. We're going to have to keep some social distance as we leave. Um, Very thankful for each of you. And to be with the body of Christ, even if it's 30 or 40 of us, is a gift. And for you at home, you're a gift as well. We love you. I pray that God is with you. He guides you and he makes his face shine upon you this week. Love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.